Okay, good morning. We are on Yud Gimel Amud Beis, the fifth line. Amrav Acha Rachanina. Rav Acha Rachanina said, "Galui v'yadua l'fnei mishamar v'yaolam." It is revealed and known before the one who spoke and the world came into existence. In other words, Hashem. She'ein b'doros al Rabbi Meir kimoto. There was no one in Rabbi Meir's generation like him. M'fnei ma'alok havu halacha kimoto. Why is it that the halacha was not established like Rabbi Meir? We have rules for paskening halacha, and in a machlokes, Rabbi Meir and virtually anyone, Rabbi Huda, Rabbi Shimon, the halacha is not like Rabbi Meir. Why is that? If he was the greatest of his generation, because his colleagues could not reach the depth of his understanding. Rashi says they could not understand when he was correct. And when he wasn't correct, Shaya Omer, Shehu Omer, Al Tamei Tahor, Val Umar Evlo Panim, Al Tahor Tamei, Umar Elo Panim. He could say that that which is Tamei is Tahor, and he could show a reason, and that which is Tahor is Tamei, and he could show a reason. He could argue any point convincingly, whether it was correct or not. We'll see in a minute what the point of that is. Tana, Brysus says, Lo Rabbi Meir Shemo, Ela Rabbi Nehorai Shemo. His name was not Rabbi Meir, it was Rabbi Nehorai. The Lama Nikra Shemo Rabbi Meir, why was he called Rabbi Meir? Shu Meir Enei Chachamim Halacha, because he would light up the eyes of the Chachamim with Halacha. It's a little hard to understand because the word Nehorai means the same thing. Rabbi Nehananel has a different girsa which says his name was not Rabbi Meir, it was Rabbi Miyasha. Mem Yud Yud Aleph Shin Aleph. And he was called Rabbi Meir because he would enlighten the eyes of the Chachamim in Halacha. The Lord Rabbi Nehorai Shemo, Ela Rabbi Nehemya Shemo. Va'amrila Rabbi Elazar ben Arach Shemo. This is a separate statement about a different Tana. Uh, either Rabbi Nehemia or Rabbi Elazar ben Arach was also known as Rabbi Nehorai because he would light up the eyes of the Chachamim with Halacha. Amar Rebbe, Rebbe Rabbi Huda Nasi said, That which I am sharper than my friends, the Chaziti, the Rabbi Meir, it's because I saw Rabbi Meir from behind. Rabbi, Rabbi Huda Nasi was a young student in Rabbi Meir's yeshiva, and the way the seating was arranged, uh, the younger students sat behind the Rebbe, so they only saw the back of Rabbi Meir. Ve'ilu chaziti mikamei, if I had seen him from the front, havi mechadad natfei, I would have been even sharper. As the Pasuk says, your eyes should see your teachers. There's something some advantage to seeing the person you're learning from, the, to, to being at a shear in person rather than listening to a recording, to being sitting in a place where you can see, to being on video rather than being on the telephone. There's an advantage to actually seeing the face of the teacher. Rabbi Meir had a student, and his name was Sumchus, for anything 
that was tame, he could give 48 reasons why it was tame. And on anything that was tahar, he could give 48 reasons why it was tahar. There was a student in Yavne. Yavne was where the Sanhedrin was after the Churban tamim. He could give 150 reasons why a Sheretz, a rodent, which the Torah says is Tameh, he could give 150 reasons why it should be Tahar. Amar Ravina, Ravina said, Ani adun vatarenu. I will argue, I will make a Kavachomer, why a Sheret should be Tahar. Uman Tahar, a snake which kills and increases the amount of Tumah in the world is Tahar, does not make other things Tameh. Sheretz, a Sheretz, a rodent, which does not kill and does not increase the amount of Tumah in the world, certainly it should be Tahar. So from a Kalvachomer, you see that a Sheretz should be Tahar. Velohi, Mar says, that's not the case, it's not a good argument. A snake that kills is just like a thorn. There are many types of thorns that kill, and nobody would think to argue that a thorn should make other things tame. And so too, nobody would think that a snake should make things tame, and therefore you can't argue that if a snake doesn't make things tame, a sheritz should not make things tame either. Tosos asks, what is the point of this? The Torah says that a sheritz is tame. What is the point of showing how smart you are by arguing that it's tahar when the Torah says it's tame? So a number of answers given to Tosos question, the Ramah, Rav Moshe Israelis, the same Ramah who's in Shulchan Aruch, explains in a tshuva, we can learn from this Kalvachomer that even though, or the Gemara rejects the Kalvachomer, but we could have learned from the Kalvachomer, had it been a good Kalvachomer, that even though the Torah says a Sheretz is Tameh, but when we have a doubt about whether this is what the Torah meant, a particular application of the Tumah of Sheretz, that since there's a Kavachomer which suggests that a Sheret should be Tahar, we should be lenient and minimize the amount of Tumah that we're going to learn from the Pasuk in the Torah, which says that a Sheret is Tahar. So it has a practical application that even though the Torah says a Sheret is Tameh, we are in some cases going to say that a Sheret is Tahar and minimize the application of the Pasuk. The Maharal says that everything in the world has good and bad in it. Nothing is black and white. Everything is complex. And yes, the Torah says that a Sheretz is Tameh, but a person has to be able to see the, the, the good in everything, the, the Tahara, the, the purity in everything that's Tameh, and likewise the opposite. You have to be able to see the full picture in order to be a competent posek, and that's the purpose of being able to argue that a sheretz is tahar, even though the Torah says explicitly that it's tameh. That is one tie-in to the next Gemara, which we'll see in a second, and we wonder why does that Gemara follow this Gemara. So based on the Maral, that will be one reason, as I'll explain in a second. Amr Rabbi Abba Amr Shmuel, Shalosh Shanim Nechlaku Beit Shammai Beit Hillel. 
For three years, Beit Shammai and Beit Hillel argued, These said the halachas like us, and these said the halachas like us. Abako came out and said, These and these are the words of the living God. But the halacha is like Beit Hillel. So the Maral explains, what does it mean, these and these are the words of the living God? If Allah is like Beis Hillel, so Beis is wrong. If there's Machlokas Rabbi Huda and Rabbi Meir, so one is right and one is wrong. The Maral explains that that's not the case, that one is right and one is wrong. When there's a Machlokas, each side is seeing some aspect of what they're looking at. Let's say a Sheretz. Is a Sheretz Tahar or Tameh? If they would be a Machlokas about that, then each side is seeing some aspect of it. As a practical matter, we have to paskin like one or the other. But there's truth in what each one is saying. So that ties into the previous Gemara as well, which was saying that you have to be able to see the full picture, to see the truth of both sides of a question. Even when the Torah says a Sheretz is Tameh, you have to be able to see the side that says Tahar. And likewise, when there's a machlokas about something, each side is seeing some aspect of the truth. It's just that as a practical matter, we have to pass them like one or the other. The Ritva says about Elu Elu Diveo Kim Chayim, says, how can that be? One says something's Asr and one says something is Mutter. How could they both be true? And he says that when Moshe Rabbeinu went up to Shemaim to get the Torah, he wasn't given the Torah in black and white either. He was given 49 arguments why something should be mutter, and 49 arguments why it should be aser, and he was told that the Chachamim of each generation will have to paskin whether something is mutter or aser. The Ritva says, hadrash. This is correct on the level of drash, emet. On the level of Kabbalah, Yesh Tam Sod Badavar, there is a secret. He doesn't tell us what the secret is. If he did tell us, it wouldn't be a secret anymore. Tosos Rabbeinu Peretz, which is also a Rishon, one of the Bali Tosos, says the same thing as the Ritva, and he adds that this is difficult to understand when you're talking about an argument about the past. For example, there's an argument in Masachat Zvachim regarding how big the Mizbeach was. Now, how could you say they're both true? It's a fact. The Mizbeach was a certain size. How can they both be Divrei Elohim Chaim, the words of living God? The Tosos Rabbeinu Peretz says that even there, they're both true because they're both bringing proofs from Sukkim what would have been a correct size for the Mizbeach. There's, they're not arguing about the fact, what, how big was the Mizbeach. They're each interpreting a Pasuk to say that from the Torah one could justify making the Mizbech this size, or one could make justify making the Mizbech that size. And so in that sense also, they are both Divrei Elohim Chaim. The Gemara continues on the first wide line, If they're both true, Why did Beit Hillel merit to have the Halacha like them? Because they were gentle and patient. The Shonin, Divrehem, the Divrei Beit Shammai, they would teach both their own words and Beit Shammai's words. And not only that, 
they would teach Beit Shammai's words before their own words, like the following case, if somebody had his head and his, the majority of his body in the sukkah and his table in the house, Beit Shammai poslin, Beit Shammai says such a sukkah is no good. It's too small to hold his table. It's no good. Beit and Beit say such a sukkah is good. Amru Beit Shammai, Beit said to Beit Shammai, Lo did it not happen that the elders of Beishamai and the elders of Beishilo went to visit Rabbi Yochanan ben Achoranit and they found him sitting with his head and the majority of his body in the sukkah and his table and his table was in the house? So you see that it's good. Amrulahan Beit Shammai, Beit Shammai said, Mishamraya, from there you want to bring a proof? Afhein Amrulo, they did say to him, if that's what you do, you've never fulfilled the mitzvah of sukkah in your life. But you see that the opinion of Beit Shammai was quoted before the opinion of Beit Shammai. to teach you, if somebody lowers himself, HaKadosh Baruch Hu raises him up. Beis Hillel were humble, and Hashem raised them up and made the halacha like them. If somebody raises himself up, HaKadosh Baruch Hu Hashem will lower him down. If somebody pursues greatness, greatness runs away from him. If somebody runs away from greatness, greatness runs after him. If somebody literally pushes the hour, Rashi says it means he tries too hard to earn a living, it's like a workaholic, then the hour pushes him. In other words, he won't succeed. Because it's all up to Hashem. And putting in more effort doesn't help. We have to put in effort. That's the Xera after the Chet of the Eitz We have to work. We have to put in some effort to earn a parnasa, but pushing harder and harder does not increase the amount of parnasa you get because it's decreed by Hashem. And somebody who lets himself be pushed aside by the hour, the hour will stand for him. In other words, he will succeed. The Maral explains what does being humble and soft-spoken have to do with having the halacha like you. And he says that being able to paskin halacha requires being able to go down the middle road, to, to go down a straight path, not to be drawn aside by arguments, perhaps even wild arguments this way or that way. And so that requires a, a calmness and a, a gentleness to be able to go down a straight road. Now this also ties the two Gemaras here back together again, because it seems from the Maral that Bechamai was a little like Rebbe Meir, that they were so brilliant, they could make any argument that didn't take them necessarily down a straight path, and therefore, in most cases, the halacha would not be like them. Whereas Beit Hillel was more calm and focused, and therefore, the halacha is like them. Gemara continues, Tanur Banan, For two and a half years, Beit Shammai and Beit Hillel argued, 
these said, it's better for a person that he was not created, more than being created, it would have been better not to be created. And these said, is a person is better off having been created, rather than not being created. They voted and they agreed. It's better for a person had he not been created, more than if he was created. Now that he was created, he should examine his past deeds. And some say it means he should examine, he should feel his future deeds, meaning if a mitzvah comes his way, he should think through the downside of doing the mitzvah versus the positive side of doing a mitzvah, and then he'll do the mitzvah, even though there's a cost to it. Many ask, we know that Hashem is good and everything Hashem does is good. So how could someone entertain the possibility that we would have been better off not being created? Everything Hashem does is good. Of course, if we were created, it was good. Rabbi Yisrael Salanter explains that the question is, can man appreciate that it was good that he was created? Of course, we accept as a matter of emuna that it's good that we were created. But can man understand that? Or are the challenges of life too great, the challenges of the Yitzhahara too great, that man cannot understand that he was that he is better off being here? That's Rabbi Yisrael Salanter's explanation. The Vilna Gaon explains that the discussion here is not about what Hashem did at all. The discussion is about coming back in a second Gilgal, reincarnation. If a person does not succeed the first time around, he comes back in a Gilgal. And that's not Hashem's doing, that's a person's doing, because he didn't succeed in his first life. So you can't ask, everything Hashem does is good. Hashem didn't decide if a person should come back in a Gilgal, it's his own fault. And the argument is, is a person better off getting it right the first time and not coming back? Or, since when you come back in a second Gilgal, you have a chance to do more mitzvos, are you better off coming back in a second Gilgal? That's what the question was. And the decision was, it's better off not coming back. It's better off getting it right the first time. But now that a person's here, he should examine his deeds. This answers a second question, the Vilnagon says, which is, the Gemara says that they concluded that a person should examine his deeds. So does that mean we thought before a person doesn't need to examine his deeds? What's the point of life? The Vilnagon says in Evan Shlema, there's no point to life except if a person examines his deeds and, and constantly improves. So what were we thinking? So rather, when it says a person would be better off if he had not been created, but now that he was created, now that he came back in a second Gilgal, he should examine his deeds, it means he should try to figure out why is he here in a second Gilgal? What did he come into this world to correct? And the answer is that a person can examine what are his challenges, and from examining what challenges does he have, maybe one person is tempted to rob banks and another person is tempted to murder, or more realistically, one person is tempted by money, another person is tempted by arayos, or by looking at improper things, or by anger, whatever it is that a person is tempted by, that's what he came into this world to work on. So uh, there's your daily dose of Kabbalah, and now we will go on to the Mishnah. What about the, the Arizal and Pana have risks of uh, great people who came back? The, que the question was, 
why did great why do great people come back? The answer is possibly Ain Sadiq There's no Sadiq who is perfect. Everybody makes mistakes, so everybody needs to come back. That's one possibility. Another possibility is that he needs to come back for the good of the generation in which he will come back. And third possibility is we don't know anything about what we're talking about, so we can't speculate about it. Mishnah. The Korah of which we spoke needs to be wide enough to hold an Ariach. And what is an Ariach? An Ariach is half a brick of three Tvachim wide, so an Ariach is a Tefach and a half wide. Therefore, the Korah needs to be a Tefach wide to hold the width of an ariach, which is a tefach and a half. The Gemara will ask, if the ariach is a tefach and a half, how did you get to the Korah being a tefach? It needs to be wide enough to hold an ariach, and strong enough to hold an ariach. Rabbi Yehuda says, it needs to be wide enough to hold an ariach, but not strong enough to hold an ariach. If it was made of straw or reeds, we view it as if it is made of iron. The Gemara will ask that this seems to be redundant, because Rabbi Huda already said it does not need to be strong enough to hold an ariach. What is being added by telling me that it can be made out of straw or reeds, and we view it as if it's made out of iron? Akuma, if it's curved, so that an ariach would not balance on it, we see it as if it is straight. There are two interpretations of what akuma means. Either it's curved like an arch, or it's slanted diagonally, like picture 173 in the Perishchai. Akuma ro'ino takilohi pshuta. Agula, if it's round, it's a cylinder. Ro'ino takilohi We view it as if it is square, as if it has a diameter of a tefach. And how can you tell? If its diameter is a tefach, if it has a circumference of three tefachim, then it has a diameter of a tefach, and the Gemara will discuss that. We know that's roughly pi. Pi is 3.1415, etc., etc., etc. So if it has a circumference of pi, it will have a diameter of a tefach. The Gemara is saying if it has a circumference of three, it will have a diameter of a tefach. We'll talk about that shortly. Gemara says it's top of Yudalat Amarala. Tefach? It has to be a tefach wide? Tefach mechzabai. It has to be a tefach and a half wide to hold a brick of a tefach and a half. Gemara answers, Kevin Drachav Drachav Lekabel Tefach, Ida Chatsi Tefach Malbin Le Betina Mashu. Mehaigisa or Mashu Mehaigisa. If it's wide enough to hold a tefach, then the other half a tefach, a quarter of a tefach on each side, you can fill up the space with plaster or mortar, a little bit on this side and a little bit on that side, and then the brick will be secure. Now, you're not actually putting a brick on top of the Korah. The point is, you could make the brick secure on top of a Korah, a tefach wide, with a little bit of plaster or mortar on each side. Rabba Baravuna said, the Korah about which we spoke has to be strong enough to hold an Ariach, 
umamide korah, but the pegs that are holding up the korah, inan sirchin shubri'in, kadelakavel korah variach, they do not need to be strong enough to hold up a korah and a brick. They only need to be strong enough to hold up a korah, because we are not actually putting a brick on top. It's just a measure of the strength of the korah. But the pegs don't need to have that strength. And Rachista says that the pegs also need to be strong enough to hold a Korah and an Ariach. Rachesheth says if you put the Korah over the Mavoy and you hang a curtain from it, and the curtain is not within three Tvachim of the ground, it's three or more Tvachim above the ground. So then you cannot carry Korah Einkan. There's no Korah because it's covered by a curtain. Mechitza Einkan, and there's no Mechitza because the curtain does not reach within three Tvachim of the ground. Korah Einkan Dahamachasya. There's no Korah because it's covered. Mechitza Einkan Dahavila Mechitza Shaytiyim Bokimbo. And there's no Mechitza because it's a Mechitza that goats can go underneath if it's three Tvachim above the ground. And that's not considered a Mechitza. If a Korah comes out of this wall and doesn't reach the other wall, or if you have two Koros, one coming from the wall on the right and one coming from the wall of the left, they don't touch each other. If the space between them is less than three Tvachim, you don't need another Korah. Shloshah, if the space between them is three tvachim, tzrech lavi korah You need another korah, which doesn't need to go all the way across, but like in picture 177, you can put it over the gap, and that would be sufficient. Rabban Shimon ben Galil Omer, pachot midalet ein tzrech lavi korah arba tzrech lavi korah Rabban Shimon ben Gamliel holds that the measure of lovewood is four Tvachim, not three Tvachim, and therefore he says if they are less than four Tvachim apart, you don't need another Korah, and if they are four or more Tvachim apart, you do need another Korah. And likewise, if you have two parallel Koros, this one is not strong enough to hold an Ariach, and this one's not strong enough to hold an Ariach, or wide enough to hold an Ariach. If they are close enough that they could hold an Ariach, then you don't need another Korah. And if they are not close enough, then you need to bring another Korah. Rabban Shimon ben Gamliel says if they are close enough that they can hold the Ariach lengthwise, the length of an Ariach is three Tvachim, its width is one and a half, and its length is three, a standard Ariach. If they are close enough that they can hold the Ariach lengthwise, you don't need another Korah. And if not, you need another Korah. If they are at different heights, they're two Koros, neither one is strong enough to hold an Ariach, or wide enough to hold an Ariach, and they are at different heights. Rabbi Yossi, Rabbi Yehuda Omer, Ro'ina tel Yonah ki you review the lower one as being higher and the higher one as being lower. In other words, you view them as being on the same level. As long as the higher one is not 
actually above 20 amos, and the lower one is not actually below 10 tfachim. And then we can look at whether together they could hold an ariach. Amar Abaye, Abaye says, Rabbi Yossi, Rabbi Yehuda, Savarla Ka'avua Bechada, Upali Galei Bechada. Rabbi Yossi, Rabbi Yehuda, holds like his father, Rabbi Yehuda, in what, regarding one issue, and argues with his father regarding another issue. Savarla Ka'avua Bechada, De'itlei Ro'in. He holds with his, like his father, in that he says, we visualize it. Rabbi Yehuda said that even if the Korah is not strong enough to hold the Ariach, and even if it's made out of straw, we visualize it as if it was made out of a stronger material, out of iron. And so too, Rabbi Yossi, his son, says, if the Korah is higher or lower, we visualize it as being in the right place. Upalig alei v'chada, and he argues with his father in one respect. Yilu Rabbi Yehuda savar Rabbi Yehuda holds a Korah can be above 20 amos, as we saw in the first Mishnah in the Masechet. Rabbi Yossi, Rabbi Yehuda savar in but his son, Rabbi Yossi, Rabbi Huda, holds that a Korah must be within 20 Amos. If it's higher than 20 Amos, it's no good. Because he said, we visualize the higher one as being lower and the lower one as being higher, as long as the higher one is not more than 20 Amos high. So you see that he does not permit a Korah to be 20 Amos high. Rabbi Huda, the Mishnah said that Rabbi Huda holds that it needs to be wide enough to hold an ariach, even if it's not strong enough. Matni le Rav Yehuda lechiyav barav, kamei derav, Rav Yehuda, not the same person as Rabbi Yehuda, was teaching the Mishnah to chiyav barav in the presence of Rav, rechava af pishin that he said wide enough, even though it's not strong enough. Amrle atzniye rechava ubriya. Rav said, tell him that Rabbi Yehuda said wide enough and strong enough. Umar asked, I'm Rabbi Eli, I'm a Rav. But Rabbi Eli said in the name of Rav, the same Rav, that a Korah can be four Tfachim wide, even though it's not strong. Umar says, Now, if it's four Tfachim wide, then Rav agrees it doesn't have to be strong. But if it's one Tfach wide, then Rav says even Rabbi Yehuda requires it to be strong. Haytash al-Kash, if it was made out of straw, Mike Mashalan, what's it teaching us? Darina Ruin, that we say we visualize it as being different. That's the same thing as what we already said. It has to be wide enough, even though it's not strong enough. That's visualizing it to be adequate, even when it's not adequate. It's the same thing. I might have thought that when Rabbi Yehuda said it has to be wide enough, even though it's not strong enough, he required it to be made out of a material that could be strong enough. For example, you could make it out of wood. If you have a piece of wood that's a tefach wide, even though that particular piece of wood is not strong enough to hold an ariach, but some wood is strong enough to hold an ariach, so that's adequate. But a different species, which is never strong enough to hold an ariach, like straw or paper, Maybe you could not make a Korah out of it. Kamashman, therefore, the mission is telling me you could even make it out of straw or reeds, which are never strong enough to hold an Ariach. As long as they are tefak wide, we visualize it as if they are strong enough to hold an Ariach. Akuma, if it's bent, we view it as if it's straight. Shita, this is obvious. Again, if it's 
curved like an arch or slanted, it cannot hold an ariach. But we visualize it as if it can. So it's the same thing. Again, what are you telling me again? Mashmalan Kidrabi Zera. It's coming to teach me the halacha of Rabbi Zera. Dam Rabbi Zera. Rabbi Zera said, If the Korah is inside the Mavoi, but it bends, it curves out of the Mavoi into Rishus Arabim, like picture 183 in the Parish Chai. If the Korah is within 20 almost of the ground, but it bends above 20 amos, like picture 184 in the Parish Chai, it's an arch, and the top of the arch is above 20 amos. Or if the Korah is above 10 Fachim from the ground, and it bends downwards into 10 Fachim, so we visualize, if you would take away the bend, for example, take away the part that's above 10, 20 amos, or take away the part that's below 10 Fachim, or take away the part that's in Rishusarabim, and there's not three tfachim between the remaining parts. For example, if you look at picture 184 in the Parish Chai, so you see that at the point where it is 20 almost high, there is only three tfachim between what would be the ends of the two sides of the arch, if we would cut off the top of the arch, which is above 20 amos. Then, then you don't need another Korah, because the two ends are lovered to each other. And if not, if it's three Tvachim or more, you have to bring another Korah. That's obvious, because we already said that if you have two Koros starting from opposite ends, and they come within three Tvachim of each other, that it's adequate. But what more do you need to tell me? Mara says, I need to be told about a case where the Korah is inside the Mavoi, but it bends out of the Mavoi into Rishisarabim. I might say that that's no good because people might carry up to where the Korah is, which is out in Rishisarabim. So, it's teaching me that it is okay. Then the Mishnah said, Agula, if it's cylindrical, Ro'ina taki Elohim Rubat, we view as it is, view it as if it's square. Hatulamali, what do you need to tell me here? We already told me. If it can't hold an Ariach, we visualize it as if it could hold an Ariach. So if it's cylindrical and you can't balance an Ariach on top of it securely, we view it as if it's square. What more are you telling me? Our answers, Sefer Itzuchele. I need the Seifa. That it teaches me that wherever you have a circumference of three, you have a width of a, te- a diameter of a tefach. In other words, how do I know if the diameter is a tefach? Measure the circumference. If the circumference is three, the diameter is a tefach. From where do I know this? Pasuk says, Vayas etayam mutsak. Shlomo Melech in the Beis Hamikdash made the sea. He had a huge kior, uh, which was like a sea. It was made of cast metal. Eser ba'ma misvato atzato. It was ten amos from lip to lip. It had a diameter of ten amos. 
Agol Saviv, it was it was round. It was five almost tall. The Kav Shoshim Bama and its circumference was thirty almost. Yisovoto surrounded it, Saviv around it. So you see that it was ten almost wide and had a circumference of thirty. Where it says Vaikasvato, but there's the thickness of its side. If it had an internal diameter of ten amos and an external circumference of thirty amos, that's not a ratio of three to one, because there's the thickness of the walls also. Amrav Papa Papa says Svato Svat Perach Shushan The Pasuk describes the lip as being like the flower of Shushan. In other words, it was very thin at the top and almost negligible. Dirtiv ovyo tefach usvatok masay kos perach shushan alpayim bat yachil. It had a very thin top like a flower petal and it held 2,000 bat, which we'll talk about tomorrow. Mara says, nevertheless, vaika mashu, but there's still a mashu, there's still some, some amount to the thickness of the lip. It couldn't it couldn't taper to nothing. Mara says, When it measures the circumference of 30 amos, it's measuring it internally. Therefore, it was a ratio of 3 to 1. Tosvos asks, This is still not accurate according to the wise men of measures. Ask anybody who knows geometry, and he'll tell you this is not accurate. You see that Tosos was bothered by a scientific question that it's not accurate. So there are a number of answers that are given to this. One from the Tashbeitz, who is a late Rishon. He says that pi is an irrational number. It's a, a number that no matter where you cut it off, it, you're estimating. We say 3.14. Well, that's just an estimate because it's really 3.1415. And that also is an estimate because it's really 3.141592. No matter where you cut it off, you're estimating. So why not estimate it at 3? You have to estimate it, estimate it anyway. Estimate it at 3. In the name of the they say that if you look at the Pasuk that's quoted here, it says, the Kav Shloshim the circumference is 30 Amos. In the Pasuk, there's a Kriuktiv. It's written one way and it's read another way. Instead of the Kav, instead of Kuf Vav, it's written in the Pasuk Kuf Vav He, with a silent He at the end. Gematria of Kuf Vav He is 111. Gematria of Kuf Vav is 106. You divide 111 by 106 and multiply it by 3, you get 3.1415, which is a closer approximation of pi than just 3. You see that the Nevi'im and Chachamim did know a more correct approximation of pi, and again, it's just an approximation no matter what it is, so to make life simple, the Chachamim spoke about 3 instead of carrying it out to multiple decimal points. We will stop there. Have a very good day.